And uh, we're going we're gonna to be um, sticking with this scripture, kind of moving in and out, weaving in and out all day. So if you would, just keep your Bible or your Bible app open, and um, we'll keep coming back to it. Um, but without further ado, let me start reading um, chapter 1, verse 1. It'll be on the screen behind me. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Hoping I said that right. Um, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So we begin this book and, and Nehemiah is asking about his, his fellow Israelites. Um, decades earlier, they were taken over by uh, the king of Persia, who uh, his rule, the Persian rule, was basically the whole known world at that point. And so they were taken over. Their city of Jerusalem, the fortified city, was plundered. They were taken away out of their homeland. And yet many of them survived. And some of them, the remnant, were sent back and were living in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah is asking, how are my people doing? How is our nation doing? How is our capital city Doing, and he hears some pretty bad news. The people are in great trouble and disgrace. The city, oh, the walls aren't even there, they're broken down. The gates, those things that used to be glorious gates when you would walk in the city, those are burned down with fire. And Nehemiah is overwhelmed with a really bad situation. The people are in trouble and disgrace. Their city's in ruins. They're defenseless. There's people there that are living out their lives, but they don't have a wall, so they can't defend themselves against other people who may want to come in and loot and attack their city. They're trying to rebuild, but they're vulnerable. As a nation, they're humiliated. And it's an overwhelming situation. And in that situation, Nehemiah has a lot of options about how he could react got a lot of choices. He could just be overwhelmed and just kind of go into a cocoon. Be like, man, that really, that's really terrible to hear, but I'm just going to do this over here. He can, he can just be completely freaked out and be enraged. God, why did you do this? What's going on? He can be, he's got a lot of choices. Does that make sense? But what we see in this book and what we're going to walk through today is that Nehemiah chose to pray. He chose to go to God in prayer when he was faced with an incredible, vulnerable, defenseless, disgracing situation. He chose to go to God in prayer. Out of all the options he had that he could react, he prayed. James chapter 5 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I grew up uh, quoting the King James Version. It said, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
but I prefer the newer translation. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And today in Scripture, we have an example, even a word-for-word example of the prayer of a righteous man. And so I want to look at that today, and, and what I'm going to call it today is a God-centered prayer. I'm going to look at the way Nehemiah, the way Scripture gives us an example of a God-centered prayer, and I want us to look at kind of the anatomy of a God-centered prayer and then the benefits of a God-centered prayer. Um, because God-centered prayer is a benefit, not a work. You know, sometimes when we look at Scripture and we see a great example and we look at what we can learn from it, we run the risk of just thinking, okay, so this is what's going to save me if I just learn these techniques and pray this better. Or, or sometimes when we look at prayer, it's, it's almost like it's a, like a spiritual point thing. You know, I get spiritual points the more time I spend in prayer. So I got, I, you know, I prayed 15 minutes at the beginning this morning. So I get 1,500, you know, God points. Or I, paid, I prayed 33 and a half minutes this morning. So that's like, that's got to be a lot of points, right? God's got to listen to my prayer more. Um, is, it, is that anyone ever been there? I've been there, you know. Um, but prayer, even though prayer is something we can work on, it's not a work. In fact, prayer is it's primarily for our benefit. God gives us the vehicle of prayer to communicate with him, the one who created us. To commune with God, to communicate with him, to be reminded of his promises, to be reminded of who he is, to be reminded that he's with us. And so when we look at the reason I want to look at God-centered prayer is because I want to grow in my ability to pray a God-centered prayer. I want our church, I want you guys to grow. I want us to have a culture of prayer. I want us to, when we're, when we're faced with difficult situations, grow in prayer. And the thing is, I've seen that happening in the last few months. We've had all kinds of crazy stuff went, went on in the summer in this church, whether it's tragedy in families or tough situations or we lost our building and met outside for a month and then uh, just all sorts of stuff as a body. But one of the awesome things I've seen is prayer nights in people's houses, singing worship songs for hours and hours without end, standing up and reading scripture and saying, hey, I'm really encouraged by this. I think we should pray over this, And I've seen God unite the body, even in the middle of situations just like Nehemiah was facing. And so I want, I want to see that more. I want us to be able to grow in that so we can encourage others in that. So today I want to talk about uh, God-centered prayer. And what I mean by that is, is uh, it's opposed to um, sometimes we fall into the trap of uh, a self-centered prayer or a problem-centered prayer. Um, Okay, so, and, 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 and this is just like a, it can be a very innocent thing, but let me give you an example. So sometimes I run into a problem in the middle of my day, and it's, you know, someone did something, and it's made me really angry, and, or it's kind of an obstacle, and it's, God, I've got this problem. So I, I pray, like, God, I've got this problem. I need you to help this problem. It's a really big problem. I don't know how I'm going to get around it. I don't know what I'm going to do. But it's just really making me mad, and it, or maybe it's really making me frustrated, and I need your help with this problem, and please help with this problem. I believe that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and then I keep going on the day. All right, so I don't mean to make that lighthearted, 
But if you, if you step out and objectively look at some of our prayers sometimes, we can spend our whole time telling God how big our problem is instead of telling our problem how big our God is. I reached way back old school for that right there. But, but, but do you know what I mean? Sometimes when we've got a big problem, and I'm not making light of our problem. I used a, a quick example for just a daily prayer, but I mean even a huge problem. Sometimes our prayers are overrun by how big our problems are. And, and so when I talk about God-centered prayer, it's going to address that. Or sometimes, you know, another, another beneficial thing that we're supposed to do in prayer is to share with God our feelings in the middle of our situation. You know, like, God, I, this is a really trying situation, and this is how I feel in the middle of that. But if we're not careful, we can just focus on, on how we feel and our character in the middle of it instead of reminding ourselves of God's character, who has the ability to change us and even change how we feel about a situation. Does that, does that make sense? So that would be the example of the daily prayer, like, God, this person did this, and I'm just really angry about this, and I just think this, and I wouldn't do that. And God, I just pray that you would change them because it doesn't make me feel good, and I want to feel like this. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, once again, I know I made that sound funny, but it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing that, that I do in prayer, and sometimes you may have experienced as well in prayer. So I want to look at Nehemiah's prayer, and just I want to bring out five kind of principles of a God-centered prayer. And then uh, after that, I want to talk about the benefits of a God-centered prayer because, because um, prayer is something that connects us with God and connects us. We can have access to God by grace through faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so there's a reason prayer benefits us and there's a reason God puts examples like this in the Bible. So I just want to learn from it today. So if it's not real groundbreaking it's not real. I mean, hopefully there's a few aha moments. I don't know. That's up to the Holy Spirit. We're just going to look at the Word today and go through that. Is that all right? All right. Let's keep going then. So, so he comes up with this. Um, he, he's faced with this horrible situation, great trouble, disgrace. The wall is broken down. Gates have been burned. Verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some Days, plural, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is a big deal. And we all go through these times in our lives. There's going to come a time in your life where there's going to be a problem big enough where it's going to shut you down for days, plural. But in that, so he's feeling that. I sat down, I wept, I mourned, fasted, and prayed for days. Then I said, and it starts with this prayer here. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear. The prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, 
I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for in my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. All right. So, the anatomy of a God-centered prayer. First one, a God-centered prayer brings God's character into focus. You know, a problem-centered prayer can bring our problem and the intricacies of how can I solve this. You know, sometimes even in our prayer, have you guys ever gotten that trap where you're trying to figure it out even while you're praying about it? <laughs> you know, so it's still kind of within my power to fix this problem, right? A problem-centered prayer focuses on the problem. A self-centered prayer focuses on what I'm feeling in it. But a God-centered prayer starts with See, it begins with, and it's bookended with, and all the way throughout, it's reminding us of who God is. Look at that first sentence. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Before he even gets a sentence out of his mouth, he's reminded of who he's talking to. I'm talking to the God of heaven. I'm talking to the God who made me. And he's listening. The great and awesome God. And what else about his character? He keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. Before he even gets to the problem, he's reminded, this is the God who holds the whole world in his hands. This is the God who is listening to my prayer. This is the God who loves me and keeps his promises. A God-centered prayer brings God's character, his attributes, who he is, into focus. And it, and it causes us to worship him. Number two, a God-centered prayer puts our sin into perspective. How many times have you started with a prayer, you've been confronted um, with some kind of issue, and, and, and somehow when you're praying or, or, or before you're praying, you're not even thinking about, you know, where I could possibly be at fault? You know, not, not that situa- I'm not saying big situations are our fault. I'm just saying the things that sometimes our vision is clouded by what we're going through so much that we forget and we think we get this complex of like, no, I can't be wrong about this, you know. But when we come to God, whenever, whenever we come into God's presence, we're reminded of who he is. We're also reminded of the ways in which we've gone astray and the ways in which we've rebelled against him. And, and, and all I'm saying about this is God-centered prayer puts that into perspective. It doesn't mean we just... Um, it's not doesn't revolve around us and about how bad we are, but it says we can't come into God's presence and not be reminded of our sin and our need for his grace. That's what I'm saying. And so we see, right, as soon as he confesses who God is and he's reminded of his love and his character and his promise keeping, at the same time he confesses and say, I've, I've sinned. My, fa- my father's house has sinned. Our whole nation has sinned. We've gone away from you. We've acted wickedly. A God-centered prayer allows us to confess those things that maybe we weren't even thinking about before we started praying. God brings us to mind and allows us to confess those things and find forgiveness. Number three, a God-centered prayer reminds us of God's promises. Look at verse eight. 
Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. What is he referencing? He's referencing the word of God. In a God-centered prayer, we're reminded of his promises that he gives us. The Bible is full of good and precious promises that as Christians, we have access to and we can be reminded of in prayer. You know, just like this, he recalls the mind. Remember your instruction. Remember your word that, that if, if we would disobey you, we would be scattered. But if we turn to you, you would bring us in. Remember that. That's a promise, God. We're reminded of his promises. In the same way, we can be reminded, you know, uh, is it James that says, you know, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's another promise that we can bring into prayer. God, I'm coming to you with this issue. You promise that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And in that, in that um, moment, when we're reminded of God's promises, we're encouraged because we know that he's a God who keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. Number four, God's in prayer reminds us of God's redemption. Verse 10 there says, he's talking about the people of Israel. They are your servants and your people. Whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. What is he referencing there? He's referencing when the people of Israel were not a people and were in slavery for four centuries, so longer than the U.S. has been a nation, their whole people were in slavery to the pharaohs, the dynasty of Egypt. Whole families, whole generations would, would grow up and die in slavery. And yet he's saying, remember, these are your people that you redeemed with great strength. You brought them out. You sent the plagues to the Egyptians. You called them to follow you into the desert. And then it, when it looked like there was no way, they would just had this body of water. You split the body of water and helped them walk across on dry land. And then you provided for them in the wilderness. And then you, you built them up and made them a great nation. A God-centered prayer reminds us of God's redemption. How many of you God has redeemed or restored something in your life? When you, that's a lot of people. I mean, everyone, if you're in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, your hand should be up because God has redeemed. How, how many of you can point to a more specific example of, a time in your life where it was a really big need or it was a problem that you didn't know how you were going to get out of, you didn't know how you were going to make it through the week, and God brought you through. Big time. God is a redeemer, is he not? And a God-centered prayer allows us to zoom out of our problem a little bit and say, this is who you are. I've seen you do it before in my life. I've seen you do it before in, in the past. I know that you're a redeemer. I know that you're a restorer. I know that you have great strength. And in that, we're reminded of how good he is. Amen? And the last one, uh, before we move on to the benefits, a God-centered prayer helps us plan from faith, not fear. A God-centered prayer, I, I don't mean that when we pray, God's going to, you know, drop down the answers in a leaflet. You know, we're like, oh, okay, this is what I do next. But praying in a way where we're reminded of God's character, where our sin is put into perspective and we confess it, 
when we're reminded of his promises and his word, we're reminded of his redemption over and over in our lives, when we pray that kind of prayer, all of a sudden we have the ability, we, we know that whatever happens, he's in control. We know that whatever happens, he loves us. We know that whatever happens, he's a redeemer. He's done it in the past, he'll do it again. And so now we can make a plan based on where we are, the specific situation, and we can step forward in faith instead of in fear. Sometimes we, we, we try to step forward in fear and make a plan based on, well, this is how I can manipulate the situation, this is what I can do. But when we pray a God-centered prayer, all of a sudden we have a different perspective on who we are and what we can do. And it doesn't mean we can fix it on our own, but I can take that first step in faith. And an uh, example of that, I love that as soon as the prayer ends, right, so he, you can see he's developing a prayer even at the end of this. You know, give, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Uh, that means uh, the king, the king Artaxerxes, the king of the known world. Give me favor in the presence of this man. And he says, I was cupbearer to the king. The wheels are already turning because he's in a specific situation and he may not be able to fix the situation for the Israelites. But all of a sudden, because he's prayed this prayer, he knows this is where I am and I know what I can do. I can at least ask. I can make the next step. God, give me grace to ask. To ask the king if we can rebuild. Uh, A side note there, it's even, um, it's a, It's a testament to the perspective that prayer gives us that he says, give me favor in the presence of this man because in that day, King Artaxerxes um, was worshipped as a deity. So people under his kingdom would have to worship him, especially people in his court. Um, He was considered a god. And so you see his perspective really being aligned with the truth because he's praying to God and says, "Give give me success with this man. He's just a man like me. I know everyone else worships him as a God, but I know who's really in control, and I pray that you give me grace as I work with this man. Um, all right, so let's move on. That's the anatomy of a God-centered prayer. I'm sure there's, there's more anatomy than that, but that's all we have time for. Um, I want to move on uh, quickly just to the benefits of a God-centered prayer. So, Back to the end of that chapter. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king in the month of Nisan. <laughs> in the, sorry, I just thought of the cars. In the month of Nisan. Um, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Stop there for a minute. First benefit I want to focus on is is comfort. The benefit of a God-centered prayer is comfort. 
out of all the options that Nehemiah could have responded to this situation with, he did, he did weep, he did mourn, he did fast, but he prayed. He put his hope in God. And initially it says, you know, he mourned and he fasted and he prayed for days. And then we have this other instance, this verbatim word of his prayer. But then the other thing is the month of Nisan and the month of Kislev are four months apart. He prayed for four months. And he found comfort in God. He found courage in God. Actually, Nehemiah's name, if you translate it, means comforted of the Lord. When we pray, when our eyes are focused on God, we have comfort. We have hope. We know that he's in control. Amen? He prays for days. He prays for four months. And then even in the moment when the king says, what do you want? He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king. Even down to the moment, he's still finding comfort in prayer. Even when he's prepped for four months. There's things in our lives that are going to be some of those four-month prayers. Maybe they're going to be four-year prayers. Maybe they're going to be longer. But we can find comfort when we're praying, when we're continuing to bring that to God. That's a benefit of prayer. Next one, benefit of God-centered prayer is courage. You see that in, uh, in verse, let's see here. It's the end of verse 2, right before verse 3, when the king notices that he looks sad. Um, and he had said, you know, I'd not been sad in his presence before. I was very much afraid, he says. There's a little bit of what's going on there in the culture is that, so he's cupbearer to the king, which means one of his responsibilities is testing the wine um, and food to make sure it's not, before the king eats it, to make sure it's not poisoned. So if anyone's going to die, he's going to die, right? And you may think that sounds like a really kind of weird, kind of bad job. Does he have good, like, health insurance on that? Like, um, how's that working out for him? But here's the thing. That was actually a really good job. Actually, if you look into it, he, he probably had the king's unreserved confidence and trust. Because actually King Artaxerxes' dad had been killed by someone in his courts. Had been killed by one of his own servants. And so for King Artaxerxes to trust him enough, there's some commentaries that say he, he might have even had more influence than like a commander-in-chief because he's closer to the king. He's there at every meal. He's testing every drink. He's there for every conversation. And so that's what I mean about realizing where he was and what he could do. You know, I may not be able to fix it, but I can at least ask, right? But the fear there, the breaking status quo is everyone in the king's court was not supposed to let their emotions show. You're in the presence. Everyone else is calling this man a god. You're supposed to have a cheerful disposition. Oh, king, your reign is so great. Oh, king, everything's great now that you're in power, right? And so for him to come in there and be like, Mean mugging it is not acceptable, right? And so that's why the king notices. And that's why he says, I had never been sad in the king's presence before. Prayer gave him the courage to do that. Prayer gave him the courage to break the status quo. The other thing is, in Ezra 4, the book right before this, this same king had already stopped the building of the wall. 
They had already started rebuilding the wall, and this king, for political reasons, said, nope, stop, you can't do it anymore. So Nehemiah goes into the presence of this king that everyone's worshiping as God. He's not supposed to ever be sad. He puts on a sad face, and then he says, hey, I want to rebuild the wall that you said we can't build anymore. Talk about some courage when you're the guy who's going to get poisoned first. (laughs) God-centered prayer gives us courage to do things differently. It gives us courage to go through a situation that we don't want to face. It gives us courage to, to be faithful and obedient to what God says in his word or to what the Holy Spirit has impressed in our heart and how to walk through this situation. Amen? Moving on, God-centered prayer gives us perspective. When, uh, when we pray in this way, when we're reminded of God and who he is, um, we can say, God has put me here for a good reason. Not just for a reason, but God has put me here for a good reason. At the very end of his prayer, he, he doesn't know how it's going to go, but there's a reference to this is where I am and this is my spot in it. And, and, and he says, you know what, give me, give me favor in the sight of this man. So there's a, a perspective change going on. He's like, everyone else says he's a God. I know that he's a man just like me. And you know what, I, I don't know that I can do anything. I'm just a cupbearer, but I can ask. God's inner prayer gives us perspective. And even when our request is granted, we know that it's because of God's grace. Not because of ourselves, not because of our own smarts, not because we were strong enough to get through that on our own. But he says that later in the verse, because of God's gracious hand. Why am I saying this? I'm saying prayer gives us, gives us a new perspective on where we stand in our own situation. When we turn to God, when we give over the situations in our lives to him, there's something that happens there where it changes in our lives. We, we, we see, you know what? It's still really bad. It hasn't changed yet, but this is what I can do about it. This is how I can be obedient in the middle of it. Amen? Has anyone, anyone experienced that in prayer? The last thing, when, when we are comforted, when we have courage, when we have perspective, um, another benefit is that we can plan in faith. When we look at Nehemiah's example, um, because he had been close with God in prayer, he was able to make a plan, to make a request, and pray along the whole way. You know, even when the king says, okay, what do you want? And then he prayed, and then he answered the king. Even in the moment, God is as close as the mention of his name. So, um, and, and, and just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of what happens there. He asks the king, you know, I want to be able to rebuild the wall. And the king says, okay, how long do you think it'll take? And then he says a certain time, and the king says, okay, what else do you need? And he gives him, he gives him letters so he'll be defended from the other uh, nations. He gives him the supply. He gives him a letter to say, you can use all the trees you need from the forest to rebuild the gates. God answers his prayer, and uh, thus kind of begins the book. He goes back um, and begins the process of renewal. 
the, the end of verse 8 says, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So, as I'm talking about this today, I think sometimes our, our, our default is to say, okay, well, I need to just do that better. <laughs> and then everything will be great, right? Um, but it's not, it's not a magical formula. It's not like you take down, if you were taking notes and, and you said, okay, I just need to do all these and then it'll just click into place. That's not what God has given us. And it's even not really good news for me to stand up and say, hey, you just need to try harder. You just need to pray harder. It all depends on you getting this God-centered prayer thing right. And if you focus too much on your problems, that's like, God's not even going to listen to you. No, that's not our hope. Our, hope. our hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing less. And actually, because Jesus even gives us example and prays a God-centered prayer for us in the garden is why we have hope. You know, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he's about to face the cross, and he knows that he's about to die for the sins of the whole world, for all those who place their faith in him. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Talk about a situation of great trouble and disgrace. Talk about a situation of ruin. Talk about a situation where you could be overwhelmed. But he turns to God in prayer and says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That joy was you and I. The situation... That, that Jesus went through on the cross and the death and burial. The joy he saw on the other side was us being reconciled to God. And because he showed us and modeled for us what a God-centered prayer looks like, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Your will is good and perfect. You are redeeming. Even in a bad situation, you're going to continue to redeem. We who are in Christ are reconciled with God and we have access to God in prayer. We have access to come to God and be reminded of how good he is. No matter how bad the situation is, we can be reminded how good he is. We can be reminded of our sin and how when we confess and trust in him for forgiveness, we are forgiven we can be reminded of his word, his promises that are yea and amen. They are always true. They will never fail for this life and the next. We can be reminded of his redemption. We've seen it happen in our life before. It'll happen again. He's telling a great story. And then when we've done that, we can look at our life and have perspective and have a plan for this is what I need to do next. I don't know how the story ends. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I can't figure it all out on my own. But after spending time with God in prayer, I know that I can at least do this. Okay, I get a little bit of movement. All right, then the king says, okay, what do you want? And then I pray again, and then I do this. And we can walk forward in faith, amen? 
Amen. So we're going to end here in a minute. Uh, we're going to partake in communion. And um, I want to uh, challenge you guys. If, if uh, those of you who are, are taking place in, in communion, my challenge for you is to just take one of those principles of a God-centered prayer and, and practice it. So maybe as you're, as you're taking, partaking of communion, just say, you know, this is something that's true of God's character, and this is something I need to remember right now. And that's my prayer today. Or, or this is a sin that I need to confess, and I, I need to confess this and find healing in God today. Or this is a promise that I know is in his word, and someone needs to speak that over me. So here, I'm going to tell you what it is. Pray this over me. Does that make sense? And just practice one of those things today. Or this is a time that God was a redeemer in my life, and I need to hear that today. And I need to confess that today, and I need to be reminded of that. And I tell you what, we're going to see benefits of that kind of prayer left and right. You're going to be comforted. You're going to find courage to face the thing that you're in right now. God's going to give you a new perspective. And you're going to be able to make a plan based on faith, not just fear. Not just reacting to your situation, but, but proactively because you're walking with God. Amen? Let's pray and we'll start communion. Father, thank you so much just for your word. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord. Thank you for um, liberating us in Christ um, from the bondage of sin. God, I thank you for prayer. I, I, I repent for how often um, I look at prayer as a work or a... Um, a means by which to gain spiritual points or just be a better Christian and, and ask for a renewed vision, Lord, of you, you give us prayer for our benefit, God. You give us prayer for us to relate with you, to commune with you, to hear from your word, to be reminded of your character, to confess our sins and find healing. And uh, I just pray for that, that culture of prayer in, in our own lives, God, and in our church. And I pray that um, we'd be able to give that to others, because um, that truly is a gift, God, to be able to lift others up in prayer. And uh, just ask for, um, for Holy Spirit renewal and, and, and life change and heart change today um, in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.